feeling overwhelmed by client demands and busy work? You need Client Hub to ditch the busy work and take your accounting practice to the next level with the magic of AI. Client Hub is the ultimate practice management solution built specifically for accountants and pro advisors like you. It's a single magical place where you can collaborate with your team and clients effortlessly. Client Hub's powerful AI capabilities are game changing. Client Hub can triage your inbox by summarizing email threads and automatically drafting email replies to all your common client questions. The new Magic Workflow feature will create instructions and detailed task checklists for any new client work or unusual requests that come your way. Client Hub is both amazingly powerful and yet amazingly simple. The intuitive modern interface allows your team to start using it immediately. The mobile app makes it easy for everyone, including your clients, to track tasks and communicate on the go, ensuring nothing falls through the cracks. To experience the magic of Client Hub for yourself and see how it can transform your accounting practice, head over to uqb.promo slash client hub. That is uqb.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. Welcome to the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast. I am joined by my good friend, Alicia Katz-Pollock, the original, the one and only QBO Rockstar, CEO and founder of Royal Y Solutions. And I have the privilege of collaborating with Hector Garcia, CPA, the founder of Right Tool for QuickBooks. And on this episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast, we're going to be talking about QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online, once again, part three. In this particular episode, we're going to discuss after you converted from desktop to online, what should you as the advisor do to make sure that this file is as close as possible as a desktop file, including all the junk the desktop file came, came in with. And we could discuss, hmm. you know, maybe in a whole other episode, how to like clean up in QBO if you didn't do the cleanup in desktop in the first place. But this is um, what we're going to discuss is like, what should the advisor do when you're guiding the client through a conversion process? So Alicia, thank you very much once again for um, sharing that your SOP document. And let's start with connected services. So I'm going to take you down, down memory lane, QuickBooks yeah. desktop, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, added the ability to initiate a bill payment with your bank through this thing that they called direct connect bank feeds. So QuickBooks desktop users had to pay their bank anywhere between $10 and $20 a month to connect QuickBooks and their bank and download transactions through bank feeds. But some banks, and I have a client that was still, was still doing it maybe a couple of months ago, I haven't checked in on him lately with Wells Fargo, where he would create the bill in QuickBooks, press a couple of buttons and literally make the ACH bill payment through their bank, but initiated with QuickBooks Desktop. Well, bad news is once you go from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online, none of that stuff exists. So you will not be able to pour over any bill payment capability. And um, and Alicia, what are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that QBO has its own tool for it. So you're going to be able to perform the same action, but in a slightly different way. So just don't expect to be to it to be there instantly, you do actually have to enroll for the new service. 
Right. Same action, quote unquote. You still be paying your vendor electronically through a service, but you would not be using your bank to actually write the check to the vendor using your bank's bill pay or online bill payment, which would show up when you go to Chase.com and you look at your bill payments or WellsFargo.com, you look at your bill payments, that would show up if QuickBooks Desktop was initiating those payouts. Now with QuickBooks Online, you have to use their own their own service called QuickBooks Bill Pay, and it has its own separate fee schedule. So that just sense. if you had if your client was using Direct Connect to pay bills, that no longer there. Also, um, you have to reestablish all your bank feeds. So when when you when you connect Quick QuickBooks when you set up QuickBooks Online, you have to connect all your banks, select the accounts that you want to connect, and keep in mind that your bank might not recognize this as a quote, converted file. So you have to make sure that when it asks you, hey, how far back do you want to go and download transactions, that you literally pick the last date that you reconcile the books. Because basically, if you don't do that, you may bring two or three months you know, worth of transactions of months you already reconciled. So you kind of have to keep in mind that once you convert from desktop to online, these third parties are feeding information into QuickBooks, don't really know and understand the concept that you converted. Right. The most important part there is that the bank feeds don't match to transactions that have already been reconciled. So Hector's recommendation of using the reconciliation date as your import date is beautiful because when it brings in the transactions, it should match to all of the transactions that are there after that reconciliation date. And that gives you the confidence that your new bank connection is working really well. And, and we're going to go back because one of the bullet points here talks about like handling reconciliations post-conversion. Mm-hmm. But I would probably say that even though we're talking this at the very beginning, I would wait until you re-reconcile all your banks. And we'll go back to this uh, before doing the connection. Because that way you'll know and be acutely aware on like what is that mm-hmm. date for that particular bank. Because sure. you may have multiple banks and credit cards that were reconciled at different dates and you you know, you maybe you don't want to go back to QuickBooks desktop again and double check, or maybe you, maybe you want to. But the reality is that it won't be a single date for all the banks that you're reconnecting. Every bank account could have a different date, and it's not until you actually go through the re-reconciliations that you will know. Now, that being said, any third-party apps that you're connecting would also have to be reconnected. Note that not all the third-party apps that work for desktop also work for online and vice versa. So you may have to have done your research prior to converting if there were third-party apps that these third-party apps will continue to work with QuickBooks Online. Or in some cases, do you even need the app anymore? That's a different conversation altogether. But just like bank feeds, the third-party app doesn't know that you converted. So when you you reconnect it, you have to say, hey, bring stuff starting January 2024, please. Don't go back and bring me a year's worth of transactions because, again, you may have duplicates. Right. And I've been in some situations where we actually talked about whether we were going to disconnect the app from desktop and then connect the app to online or whether we were going to do a fresh connection. You know, with build.com, for example, on the project that I'm working on right now, we had gone through and pulled out all of the old vendors, but there was a warning in there that if you disconnect from desktop and bring it over to QBO, and those vendor, the vendor lists aren't the same, it will resync all the vendor lists. And we were like, oh, wait, <laughs> we're not sure we want that. And so we had to think long and hard about all of the differences in that particular app's setup in order to make the decision. And we did decide to just 
disconnect bill.com and move it to the new one. But I've had other times when we did just create a fresh instance. Yeah. So the lesson from that story is if you're going to go through a process of cleaning up vendors and cleaning up customers, do it after you connect all the apps because <laughs> right. you don't know what new stream of things are going to come come through. Now, QuickBooks payments. So if you were charging credit cards through your QuickBooks desktop, you already have an account. Uh, some people call it Intuit Merchant because you go to uh, intuitmerchant.com. I forget what the website is. Merchantcenter.intuit.com. That's it. Merchantcenter.intuit.com. And that's great because you see the history of all the payments you've ever gotten and the net deposits and any payments that have bounced. You, you get to see all this stuff. If you go into QuickBooks Online and you inadvertently click on, yeah, accept payments, and you, you, you end up creating a new payments account, and then you don't have the history, you have to log into the, the, the old account for history. So the idea is that you don't create a new payments account, and then you reconnect your old payment accounts. If you call tech support, they can help you with that. But And I think, if I remember correctly, when you go into the settings, there's a place where you go reconnect. And as long as you have the admin user ID and password to the merchant center, you can sort of reconnect it. So make sure you don't create a new payments account. Right. Now, that is actually relatively new. I just started a new QBO file myself for my company on January 1st, 2023. And my biggest stumbling block was that payments at that point a year ago didn't convert. And I had to go get all new credit card information and ACH information from every single client. And here we are a year later, and I still have to check with every client to see if we have their billing information on file. So this new opportunity to connect payments and migrate payments is absolutely just fantastic. Uh, and I'm really, really happy about it. And Hector just mentioned about making sure that your admin user is the same in both accounts. So this is something that you really need to take into consideration at the point of migration is that the company admin on both files has to be the same for it to recognize the QuickBooks payments um, during the migration. Right. Which means that if if you logged into the merchantcenter.intuit.com using one email, and then you created the QBO file using a different email, that's where you can have the connectivity issues. Exactly. Yeah, that could happen. Now, QuickBooks Payroll and QuickBooks Time, we decided we'd make the executive decision that we're going to do an entirely episode, a different episode on this. So we actually went back and listened to episode one, and we were talking about the QuickBooks desktop migration, and we were trying to get through it so quickly that we were just sort of like stumbling upon ourselves saying, hey, you know, do we want to just like move on or just talk about this or that? So... Uh, Alicia and I are actually going to go talk to a couple of QuickBooks product managers and we're going to prepare the sort of the ultimate guide for converting desktop to online when there's payroll and talk about all the landmines and all the moving parts uh, with that. Uh, also, as we mentioned in part one, attachments do not come in. They, they, don't, they don't come over. So there's really nothing to do there, right? You just have to, moving forward, you have to bring new attachments one by one. If you had a, uh, Intuit used to have the service where you pay like $10 a month, or I forget what it, what it was, and a little app in your computer backed up your QuickBooks desktop to like an Intuit cloud. So obviously that no longer works, so that no, this, that's no longer relevant. There is a QuickBooks desktop smartphone app for receipt management. So a couple of years ago, QuickBooks added to um, QuickBooks Desktop Pro, Premier Enterprise, this thing called Receipt Management, where you can use a phone app to take pictures of receipts or whatever, and they will come in through that app into QuickBooks Desktop, sync in and take you through the receipts process. Obviously, that app you can delete from your phone. You no longer need to use that app. 
And of course, if you were using QuickBooks Enterprise Warehouse Management with the Android barcode um, barcode phone, the special barcode phone and app, obviously you could delete that. You no longer will be using those features because QBO doesn't have any of those features. So those are like the most important sort of connected things to QuickBooks Desktop that you have to watch out for when, when we come to QuickBooks Online. That's a great okay. map of, of all the external considerations. And so now let's continue the thought process that we've been building over the last couple episodes and talk about, okay, so now you've done your conversion, where do you need to set your attention? And this whole conversation is couched in terms of you being the pro advisor and bringing in the client's file. And these are the things that you as the pro advisor should do on your client's behalf. A lot of it's due diligence, but some of it is differences between desktop and online that there is zero way that the business owner is ever going to know or be able to do themselves. So the very first thing you should do in your new file is go through the accountant settings, pour through the entire thing. And I do this with the business owner on the call and we go through it together and I explain what all the features are. And, you know, some of it's the cosmetic stuff, like having them upload their logo and set up their company info and make sure it was correct that what was in desktop is correct now. Because, you know, if a business moves, the chances of them remembering to go back into their QuickBooks desktop and update their company information is kind of slim sometimes. So um, that part's important. And then go through all of the settings. Talk about which ones they have turned on talk about which ones have um, can be turned off, talk about which ones are off, and maybe they want to turn them on. That there's an opportunity here for the business owner to take a whole fresh start with what features they are and aren't using. And so I always have a discussion, well, you haven't been doing th this, but do you want to do this? You haven't been using classes, but so maybe we should turn on classes. Maybe you have sub-customers, but do we want to turn on projects? And it becomes a really great opportunity to have a really transformative experience. Okay, so that's the accountant settings. After I do the accountant settings, that's when I add users. Sometimes if the business owner isn't even attached to the file yet, I wait until I've done all of that before going in and adding the business owner just so they don't break anything that I'm in the middle of doing. And so now that there's more enhanced, robust permissions, it's not just a matter of deciding something's a company, if somebody's a company admin or who's the primary admin or who's a standard user, like now you really have to think about every user and what they can and can't do. So when I'm setting up new users, I always think about the role of the employee and then try and start with the minimum permission for what they need to do, but inevitably they're still locked out of that one thing. So I start them restricted and then shadow them as they're doing their work for the first couple of days or the first week, and then turn on the next level of permissions and the next level of permissions and the next level of permissions until they can actually do their jobs. Yeah. In my experience, unless you're working in QuickBooks Online Advanced, that gives you little bit more control over what the users can and can't see, you're gonna have to you're gonna end up giving all the users pretty much all access. I mean all access except for payroll or something like that. But um but generally because uh, QuickBooks 
plus and essentials, which is the sort of middle middle versions that allow you to have multiple users. They don't give you granular level user permission structure where you can say, okay, this person can do invoices, this person can do purchase orders. Like that type of stuff you don't get with um, Essentials and, and Plus. So you get this sort of all sales or all expenses and that's it, kind of just limited to that. And then as Alicia said, uh, you end up thinking that all they need to do is sales, but then there's something that's not necessarily sales, but it has to do with marking an expense as billable because it flows through a sale or something like that, then they need access to expenses as well. So uh, in, in my in my experience, the, when it comes to essentials and plus, you need to kind of set the expectation that pretty much every user is going to have access to everything. Yeah. It, like you said, though, you can turn off the ability to view payroll so that you can lock that down. But most of your employees are still going to have access to the reports, even if you wish that they couldn't it's going to be really hard to lock them out of seeing all that data. So hopefully you have developed a, an employee base where you've, you know, everybody's trustworthy and all on the same page for what you, what you need to do. Um, even with QuickBooks advanced though, with all the new granular permissions, I keep finding that there's like one little thing over here in this section that they also need to do. And then we still wind up turning on most of the permissions. So that's still is a work it, in progress. Is it, isn't mileage one of them where like only the admin user can track mileage and all the users can track mileage? It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, mileage originally was only one car and they have now added it so that you can have more than one vehicle, but you still have to be an admin user, either a company admin or the primary admin to use, use the mileage feature at all. And I do want to add the, the mileage feature is different than the expense claims feature. Mm -hmm. So like mileage is for like a simple start type of company, self-employed solo company that's basically using the one car and tracking the mileage. Um, But if you have an employee that's going to get reimbursed for like 17 miles or whatever, they're going to use the employee claims feature, which that's going to be in advance only. So there's a lot of these situations where where a feature wasn't really created for a multi-user environment. And that's why mileage is kind of like, it became like kind of like an odd end. They're like, I don't know. Let's just leave it as admin users only. And uh, and it's kind of an awkward one. Now, you talk about you can create users, uh, but there's a special type of user that doesn't count against your uh, user limits. And just quick recap, uh, QuickBooks Online Essentials gives you three users. QuickBooks Online Plus gives you five users. QuickBooks Online Advanced gives you 25 users. But there's a, a very special type of user that uh, that uh, doesn't count as one of those three, five, or 25 users, Alicia. Which are those? Yeah, there are several different ones. One of them is reports only, which is available in plus and higher. And reports only allows you to give a login to your board members or the CEO or somebody who you do not want to touch the books and make any changes. That way they can run reports and they can view everything, but they can't muck up all your hard work. And to be clear, reports only still means all reports. Does it mean reports only sales information only or reports only expense information only? Reports only means every single report, which includes payroll information. Mm -hmm. The next one is timesheets only. Although if you're using... 
QuickBooks payroll and QuickBooks time, it kind of separates out. So that's a different topic than this. If you're not running payroll and you're not using QuickBooks time, then you do have the ability to create a timesheets only user where they can log in and put, use the weekly timesheet or the single activity timesheet to put in their time. And then they don't count as a user and it will still flow into payroll. And then a go payment merchant. Yeah. Now, this is one that is really underused. If you are using QuickBooks payments, you actually can buy a swiper and give a swiper to your folks who are out in the field and they can use the QBO app and the swiper and create invoices and take and sales receipts and take payments while they're out in the field. And a lot of people don't realize that you have this ability in QBO. And the way that you activate the ability is by creating a Go Payments only user. And then that person can use that. And the only thing that they can do is use Go Payment and use the swiper, but they can take money out in the field. And that's, you know, in this day of Square, you know, Square has become so ubiquitous that very few people are using QB payments in that way, but it's possible. It is possible to do. Yeah. I have found that QuickBooks desktop users tend not to use Go Payments a lot. Um, so they, they, for some reason, the QuickBooks, the typical QuickBooks desktop user is not so much of a sort of like a retail type of like go out there and collect credit cards while on, on the field one-to-one. So there isn't that many of these situations, but also could be an opportunity to tell your client, hey, did you know you could do this? And they go, oh my God, I didn't even know I could do this. And maybe you get them out of the old weird merchant account system that they were using and get them into QB payments to make everything more streamlined. And I would say that it's not even just desktop users because people just, they think of QuickBooks Online as their accounting software, not as their field services hub, but QBO can do it. And so if you do any field services, you know, when I go on site with a client, that's what I do is I pick up their credit card and I tap it on my Bluetooth swiper and and create it. But anybody can do this no matter what your role is in the company. Yeah, I'll make a quick side comment here. Alicia, of course, you remember the free AOL discs, okay? <laughs> um, and you remember how successful AOL was at penetrating the market by just giving away the, the discs everywhere. I think Square did a very, very good job at making those little dongles easily available. They didn't give them out for free all the time. I think there was a period where they were giving them out for free, but they sold them at every retail store. Like you go to Walgreens and you had like a little square dongle. You went to checkout lane in your supermarket, you had it. So I think Square did a good job at literally coming out of nowhere and becoming such a leading company in payments because they kind of, they, they very cheaply, you know, very easily made accessible the dongle the conduit in which people will uh, receive payments. So I think I, I draw the analogy from the American online discs because uh, I think it was it was a good strategy. Yeah. And so anyway, it, it, I, I digress. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting digression because I actually remember like ten years ago when you would go to one of the conferences, you would have they would have bowls of the little plug-in swipers for QBO as well, and so they originally were free, but now that they're all fancy pants. With, you know, inserting the card or the Bluetooth tapper, or now they actually talk to you. They actually have like messages written across with the price. Now they cost 50 bucks a shot, but you don't even know that they're available unless you log into your QuickBooks payments merchant merchant center to go buy them. Like there's actually nothing in the product that says, Hey, don't forget to order your swiper. 
So all y'all, there are swipers. <laughs> you can buy one. Yeah, that's interesting. And again, even even the swiper term is old because you insert the chip. They're chip readers. Like there's no longer much swiping going on. And I think that maybe that got people that that got that got every that got it. The cost of that made it go away from like free or ten dollars or whatever to something more expensive because the chip readers are more expensive. So we'll get back into the document here. So the last user, uh, uh, QuickBooks user-related point you have here is your accountant or your bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually add manually go in there and add your accountant or bookkeeper so they can collaborate with you in QuickBooks Online. And if it's you, if you are the bookkeeper or the accountant doing it and you created this account under your client's name, um, you have to add yourself as a bookkeeper. And even if you created the the QuickBooks file as an account that you're paying for, uh, under the wholesale account, you're still going to create it as your client, as the owner of the business, not you. So no matter what, you have to add yourself as the accountant or invite yourself as the accountant and the bookkeeper. Right. And it's also uh, in good form. If you're the bookkeeper and there's a separate tax preparer, it's a really nice nod to them to go ahead and add them as well And right now at this time. Um, you know, there's something that's not on my list that I want to add right here also, and that is the primary user. Intuit, Intuit's policy is that the business owner is the person who owns their data and they own their QuickBooks file, even if you're the person who created it and even if you're the person who uses it. And so I'm always proactive with this. As soon as we set up the file, I make sure that the business owner is the primary um, user. And, you know, I'm not attached to it. You know, I don't know that it's a permanent relationship. I want it to be a lifetime relationship. But at some point, it's likely that we're going to part ways for one reason or another. And then that's just one less thing that you have to think about transferring the primary over to them. Right. Now, that that might be an entirely different episode because there's, there's a lot of sort of moving parts to that. Um, when you, Whoever creates the account originally, like whoever based on the login, they become automatically the, the primary the primary user, with the exception of QuickBooks Ledger. QuickBooks Ledger, when you create a new QuickBooks Ledger account, which is the $10 a month accountant-only version, it actually asks you whether you should be the primary user or not. And I'm going to make a, a very important recommendation if you start using QuickBooks Ledger, never make yourself the primary admin by mistake he, he, clicking the little checkbox. Because then you have to go through a very specific process with Intuit where the business owner has to send their documentation, identify themselves for you to be able to transfer them as a primary user. So it's a little bit different with um, with with the, uh, the regular versions of QuickBooks Online because actually simple start. with Simple Start, you have the same problem. I forgot to mention that. So with Simple Start and QuickBooks Ledger, well, okay, let me go back. With, with Simple Start, you automatically become the primary user. With Ledger, you get the choice not to have, not to become the primary user, which is kind of weird. Uh, but with them, with Essentials and with um, Plus and Advanced, even if you're the primary user, there's actually a built-in process for you to, you know, change the users around. But specifically with with Ledger and Simple Start, you actually have to call support to transfer that. So I know that's a little side quest there, but it's a really important that's thing important. To, to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one here is. Okay, we had multiple AR accounts, multiple AP accounts in QuickBooks Desktop. We mentioned, it, I think, in part one that QuickBooks Online doesn't uh, agree with that, doesn't allow you to have multiple AR, multiple AP accounts to manage your invoices and your bills. 
However, when you convert from desktop to online, the multiple AR accounts and multiple AP accounts are going to come in and your transactions are going to be on those separate AR accounts or separate AP accounts. But so that you have to do an actual thing to clean that up. So what do you have to do, Alicia? I'm going to actually put this one back in your in your court. I don't I think I've had maybe one of these that actually worked that way. So Hector, what do you do when you have transactions that were put to a different AR account than the default? Yeah, so from what I remember, the invoice itself does have a little a little uh, in, an invoice that's set up under the non standard AR account or a bill that's set up under the non-standard AP account actually shows up a drop-down menu where you can choose which AR to change it to. And you have to manually go into each invoice and change it to your default AR account. And then when you click save, that drop-down menu goes away. Same thing with the bill, right? You have to change it back to your default AP account and make it go away because when you go receive a payment, you will never be able to match the payment because QuickBooks only uses the default AR account or when you go pay a bill, the same thing. So it's a pretty weird thing where it it opens it up so you can clean it, um, but it will never open it up so you can actually create a new invoice or a new bill with that. That's from what I remember. I reserve the right to go back and, (laughs) and, and correct myself on that, but I do know that during the conversion process, Intuit doesn't move uh, all the multiple AR invoices back to the default or the multiple AP invoices back to the default. I know it doesn't do that proactively, so you do have to clean that up afterwards. Right, and you can't solve it by simply merging them because since accounts receivable and accounts payable are system accounts, they won't let you uh, rename them or adjust them or move them. So it's definitely a little bit of a, of a sticky point, but it... You know, I, I remember the one time I did it. I can't remember exactly what we did, but it wasn't hard. So you might be right that it just made the drop down available, or there's something in there that did let you switch. Because I didn't have a crisis, I was able to fix it pretty, uh, pretty easily and obviously. Yeah, actually, live in the episode, if you give me a few minutes, I can go back <laughs> and give you that that answer. Okay, Alicia, okay. talk about unbilled expenses. Okay, now unbilled expenses are. Oh my God, one of the worst parts about converting from desktop to online. Unbilled expenses in some QuickBooks desktop files are on by default. And what that is, it's the little billable check mark when you have an expense and you assign it to a customer and you put a check mark in there that it's billable. And unfortunately, a lot of business owners think that that means, of course, it's billable. I'm paying the bill for it. And so they check off all of them. What billable expenses mean is that you are intending to pass them through on your customer's next invoice to charge them and have them reimburse you for that expense. And it creates a linked thread from purchase all the way through payment um, along the way. And in QuickBooks Desktop, there is a default setting to turn it on. And then it has a a pop-up box that says, are you sure? And then people dismiss that box And then for the rest of the life of their company, they've marked every single expense billable, even though that workflow isn't part of their process. They don't um, invoice their customers for reimbursement, but desktop has been accumulating these charges for sometimes years. I opened up one file that had seriously 100,000 of them totaling over $15 million. And so 
there is a, there's two ways to clear them out. One way is to open a, create an invoice, suck in all of the billable expenses, save it, and then void it. And that will work, but you have to do that for every single client and go through them systematically. There is a tool to do it, but it's not on the menus. So I don't know why they don't put this in the accountant's toolbox because when you need it, oh my God, you need it. And what it is, is that you change the URL, the web address of the page that you're on. And so all QuickBooks Online pages or or features start with qbo.intuit.com slash apps slash and then whatever it is that you're doing. So if you erase whatever it is on the page after apps slash and type in manage billable expense, and it's singular, not plural, manage billable expense, it pops up a tool that says, what date do you want to do? And so you can put in today or you know sometime in the past, and then you, you um, say, okay, and then it will go through and it will uncheck off all of those check marks through the history. Now, if you have a lot, you can't do it in one pass. You might need to go back 10 years and do the ones 10 years ago, and then nine years ago, and then eight years ago, and then seven years ago, and do it in stages. You know, I've also found times when the tool doesn't work at all, and that's because it's not on the menus, and I think even Intuit forgets that it's there sometimes, and so I'll go in and it won't work, and I'll call up support or I'll I'll go up to feedback and say, hey, here's the link, qbo.intuit.com slash app slash manageable billable, manage billable expense. And then it's not working. Please fix it. And then, you know, the next day I can go back in and use it. And I do want to add that that's only for billable expenses, not for billable time. Yeah. So if you have timesheets that have the billable checkbox, there's a bunch of stuff that hasn't been billable. It's just not going to work. The workaround would be to actually create an invoice and invoice them out and then delete all those invoices, right? Yeah. Well, deleting still doesn't work necessarily because a deletion can just detach it and put it back again. So I always void mm. it, make sure I've got them trapped. Uh, good good point. So you del- you create them first to get them out of the unbillable time list, then you void it. Yeah. Ah, that's great. Great tip. Exactly. Do you use QuickBooks Online all day long? Do you always feel like it could be so much more efficient to navigate? Then you should try WriteTool for QuickBooks Online. WriteTool is a free Chrome extension that allows you to add functionality to your QBO through Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge's web browsers. Features like custom favorites, so you can quickly navigate to any screen of QBO. And the tab manager, so you can have multiple pages open and move between those tabs with a single click. And it's all located in a right-sided navigation bar. And for power users, there's a pro version that adds batching capabilities such as deleting and editing transactions in bulk. I'm a right tool user myself, and I have to say it saves me tons of time, all day, every day. Learn more at righttool.app. That is www.righttool.app.
So the next thing that I do when I am uh, finishing a migration is I repeat the most recent reconciliations. And that's because the, the reconcili- reconciled state with the R does carry over. So everything that was reconciled is still reconciled. But the the date that says, what date did you last reconcile does not carry over. And so just as a courtesy to my client, I go in and I repeat the most recent reconciliation date. And it, you know, most of the time it just takes seconds. It's the repeat the balance, repeat the date, press reconcile, should equal zero, finish, you're done. However, (laughs) this is also one of those opportunities where we wind up doing some cleanup because all you know that if your client is doing the reconciling, they're probably just doing the stage one reconciling of matching what is on the bank statement. And they may be leaving everything that has accumulated over time of all the transactions that were not on the statement. So this step frequently balloons out into a whole cleanup. And so when I'm doing that, I do not count it as part of the conversion. This is outside the conversion scope if we're going to have to spend time going through and cleaning up their data. Yeah, I do want to mention something. Anytime you say you have to re-reconcile, people get freaked out about that. You don't have to go back and re-reconcile each month, okay? That's like, okay, you could do that if you want to have fun, if, if that's <laughs> your idea of fun. But what you want to do is you want to check what was the last reconciled month in desktop Let's say it was December 31st, 2023, and then you're going to go into QuickBooks Online. You're going to reconcile December, you know, even though nothing has been reconciled. You're going to re-reconcile that, and, and hopefully the, all, all the transactions come already cleared. And the best thing to do is just take a look at what wasn't cleared in QuickBooks Desktop and select all but those that were not cleared in QuickBooks Desktop. And that's typically it's just a couple of clicks, but you don't have to like actually go through the bank one by one. Like That's not something you're going to have to do. Unless they were only doing partial reconciliations, in which case, correct, right. true, yeah, right. of course. But what I'm yeah. saying is, I'm saying is, we're we're working under the assumption that QuickBooks Desktop was accurate, and and we and we went through that process uh, sure. already. Okay, yeah. So let's it's, talk it's, about the big one. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, yeah. Just finish your thought. Oh yeah. So so all it is is just the most recent reconciliation. Just repeat it. Correct. Shouldn't have to be any harder than that. So the big one's going to be sales tax. Oh my God. Big, biggie, biggie, biggie. Sales tax in desktop and QuickBooks online work completely differently. In QuickBooks desktop, every sales tax rate has its own item, its own service that gets added to the invoice or um, that, that you're creating. And in QuickBooks Online, it's a whole automated system that when it works, it works really, really, really well. And it's able to tell what product and what client, um, what their tax rates are, and it does all of the combinations for you. But because desktop worked on a, a, a invoice row system, the conversion is a little bit tricky. So when you turn the sales tax center on for the first time, it's going to ask you to um, map your previous tax lines. And so you can do that, but you don't want to keep doing it line by line. You want to use QBO's system. So you don't really need to do that. 
So what it will do is recognize your former tax rates, but it won't add them to the sales tax center, which basically means it's not going to break your history. You just don't want to carry that system moving forward. Now, in this transition period, you are probably going to have to make your next payment manually and then manually categorize it against the sales tax liability account that you were using in your old system. And then you can move forward cleanly. So as part of this process, you'll have to go into previous periods like last year and then remark all of the previous tax payments as paid. One of um, another thing is looking at the rates. Now, one of the problems that I've had, and you know, Hector, I'd love to know your experience on this, but with QuickBooks Desktop, it did it update the rates automatically on those line items because I've had clients where the tax rates were actually wrong, and we do the conversion, no. and then it says a completely different sales tax on each of the transactions. Correct in QuickBooks Desktop. Um, there was no regard to, hey, this item is this item has this this type of tax. This item has that type of tax. Uh, the items could only be taxable or non-taxable, and then you had the choice to either um, put a, a sales tax item right under that, so it applies the sales tax under that item only, or use all the way in the bottom of the, of the invoice the generic sales tax item that's gonna. Um, work across all of them. So there was no such thing as like updating sales tax in the item level. Okay. But what can happen is you might have a discrepancy between the sales tax liability from desktop to online because of differences in calculations. And so you might need to make adjustments to the sales tax history. And if you have to do that, you really have to go month by month you know, go back to last year and then go from oldest to newest. So you would start, you know, at the time of this recording, you go back to January, 2023, and then make that adjustment and then February and then March and then April. And when you're doing this, if it shows that you collected more taxes than you actually paid, I create a sales tax adjustment income category and put the difference there. And if it shows that you owe more than you actually paid I'll just write it off to a sales tax expense. It doesn't at this point mean that I actually have to go and make those payments. But if you go systematically through, it will make corrections so that by the time you get up to the current period, you will be paying the right amount of tax for the transactions that are in the system. Right. As an accountant, what really matters to me is that when I look at the balance sheet for, let's say, 1231-2023 and the sales tax payable is 3,176.35, that that's actually the payment that I'm making the next month or the, the payments that I'm making the next months after. So if if my balance sheet doesn't match, and this could have been an issue coming from desktop anyway, I'm going to make an adjustment and make it match the actual payments that I made. And like Alicia said, that difference goes to you know a sales tax income or sales tax expense account, um, which would be the same account that would use for uh, the credits that I get through the state or, you know, the, at some point, if you made a mistake with sales tax, you're going to have to make that difference a PL item anyway. Right. Um, one of the things that I do if I am migrating a file and there's a lot of differentials between the balance sheet categories, then sometimes I'll just make a migration adjustments other expense category and I'll just dump 
everything in it. And sometimes it will get credited over here and debited over there, and sometimes it accumulates. Um, and so I like doing that. So again, migration adjustments as an other expense, and then every change that you're making, go ahead and just dump it there because that will summarize all of the differences in the company between the old and the new. And then you can take a look at that and see if it's material or see if you need to allocate it, or maybe you just shrug it off and count it as a business expense for the year. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, and they say they know QuickBooks inside and out. But soon, you're seeing the red flags. Errors are creeping into their work. And you're once again in the train, correct, and repeat cycle. Break free with RoyalWise. Alicia Katz-Pollock, founder of RoyalWise, has developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on-demand courses. Site-wide memberships and even monthly coaching sessions, enabling your staff to learn QuickBooks online while learning CPE. Develop a QuickBooks-savvy workforce today by visiting learn.royalwise.com. Use promo code UQB for 10% off any course or annual membership. Awesome. I will go back and make a correction earlier about the uh, double AP accounts and uh, the more than one AP accounts and more AR accounts. Actually, while we were doing this podcast, I I, I was I went into QuickBooks Desktop and, and created multiple AP and AR accounts in a QuickBooks Desktop file and converted. It. And it turns out that the transactions do come over. Uh, the the AP account and the AR account that is under, if you have multiple AP and AR accounts in the QuickBooks Desktop file. It's there, like if you go into the into the transaction journal, you see it, but it's not exposed. So it's not obvious to you as the user whether that particular bill or invoice is actually on a separate AP or AR account, separate than the, your default one. So I, I misspoke that it would show you and allow you to correct it because what it actually does is it just shows it. And then when you go receive the payment, it applies it to the correct account and that's it. So the only real difference is that you actually don't, cannot create a new invoice with a separate AR account, or you cannot create a new bill with a separate AP account. But if they came from desktop, they actually hide that that, that choosing of the accounts for you behind the scenes. And I, I'm I'm going to say, I think this changed. Yes, it was absolutely changed because I yeah. have had to fix it in the past. Yeah. So that's good. I yeah. mean, that's, that's great. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's very, very clean, very clean. Uh, one thing I did want to mention is with the whole concept of uh, jobs in QuickBooks Desktop and then projects in QuickBooks Online. QuickBooks Online projects is actually not the same thing as a sub-customer. Uh, QuickBooks Online has this concept of customers and sub-customers that so you can have up to five layers deep, right? You have the customer and up to four sub-customers under. Projects is something that you can have under a customer or under a sub-customer. So you could have a customer, a sub-customer, and a project under it. And, and you can do as deep as five layers total, including projects. Projects will have to be the fifth layer. If you convert from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online and you want all your sub-customers to be projects instead, what's going to happen is QuickBooks is going to give you the option to press one button, and then all your sub-customers or your lowest-level sub-customer 
will basically be uh, converted into a project. And all of the history of you know invoices, payments, estimates will go into that project. The only thing that I'm pretty sure is just not going to convert yet, and this might be different in the next upcoming months as QuickBooks revamps their whole WIP and estimate versus actuals, is the historical estimate versus actuals by item level that you get with QuickBooks desktop. Some of that stuff may not convert over because number one, as we covered in part one, progress invoicing doesn't come in. So one part of the reports, you know, the progress part doesn't come in. The job statuses and job description information, they don't come in during the conversion. And the percentage of completion. So in QuickBooks Premier, you can actually say, this job is 50%, this job is 20%, this job is 30%. And you can get a report that compares what you told that it was percentage-wise and what it really is uh, compared to your progress invoicing. So that stuff doesn't come over. So only a, a certain aspects of the of your uh, QuickBooks desktop jobs are going to be coming over to projects. Even when you convert a sub-customer to project, not everything converts over. And I, I and I probably say in the next couple of months, they're probably going to clean that whole thing up because it's been into its priority to make sure that um, that people, construction companies and people using uh, jobs in and all the job costing reports in QuickBooks desktop um, are not being stopped from going to Quick, QuickBooks Online because of that that lack of uh, capability. Yeah. Now, one of the things to know when you are con- after your migration, when you look at your customer list, if you had sub customers or jobs in desktop, you're going to have a little pop up that says, "Do you want to convert all of these to projects?" And you got to think that through. For some of you, that's a hallelujah because the project center is probably the number one thing that gets my business owners excited about the new experience. However, if depending on your situation, converting those existing projects may break your entire system. So really be clear with your customer whether you do want users to do that or whether you want everybody to hit the X and do not do it. So keep an eye out for that. And there's, and there's kind of a particular side note to this. If you are using a third-party app that connects or is used to connecting and linking to a particular job in QuickBooks, in QuickBooks, when you go to QuickBooks uh, online, projects is essentially a new entity. So when, when the third-party app tries to send information to the job, what used to be the job in desktop, there's no more link to QuickBooks Online and you have to go into the third-party app, disconnect it and reconnect it. So it starts recognizing which are um, which are the actual jobs and not the sub-customers. You could have the issue where the third-party app doesn't know how to talk to your to your to your projects because that linking never existed in the first place. And on top of that, this is a bit geeky, but um, through the API, which is how third-party apps talk to QuickBooks, third-party apps can see projects, but they can't create new projects, or you, they can't edit things in projects. So if you're used to the third-party app creating the project for you, that's not going to work. You have to first create the project in, in QuickBooks Online, sync the data in your third-party app, and then say, this is the project I'm working on. So it changes the workflow a little bit. If you're using a third-party app, that was actually the that was the one building or creating those projects for you. Because a third-party app can only create sub-customers. It can't create projects. Right. And Hector's point on this is incredibly important. I did a conversion a year ago where they relied on customers 
three customers three deep and then the project and they're doing an integration with Corrigo and no matter what we tried we couldn't get that to work and so they had to train all of their staff that when they book a new job they have to first go create the project in QBO before they enter their time before they go into Corrigo anything and if it didn't it broke and we have one last tip which is actually one of your favorite tips Alicia which is report tools. Can you walk us through that? Yes. So this really is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite unsung heroes in in QBO. And that is when you go up to the accountant tools briefcase, there's an option there for report tools that you might not have ever, ever clicked on. Report tools does two things. One is it shows you a list of all of your balance sheet accounts with when they were mostly recently reconciled. And going back to your point earlier about reconciling everything, that would be a great uh, list to see the reconciliation dates to make sure you're on top of them. But even better, it allows you to set defaults for your reports. You can set a default date range and a default basis. So by default, out of the box, when you set up a new file in QBO, the default date range is last month. For my larger clients, that's great. But for my smaller clients, most of them are more interested in how am I doing year to date when they run a P&L. And so I go into Accountant Tools Briefcase and Report Tools, and I change the date range to this year to date. Then you also get to choose the basis. And I will almost always choose accrual there, even if it's a cash-based business for taxes, because you can set that in accountant settings. You can say, okay, we're cash-based, but they still have invoices. They may be using bills. And so by setting the report basis to accrual for the defaults, they can keep tabs on what's really happening inside the business so that the taxes are right down the line. So I love that feature and it's, it's so underutilized, right? I mean, like so many, li- so little people use that. Yeah, people don't know it's there. And it is right now or the second you get back in front of your computer, go to accountant tools, check out the report tools. And so, and then set your default basis. So I do this as a service to my clients because it's not a regular QBO setting. Your clients can't do this. So it's always one of the first things that I do after a migration is I ask them, What's your favorite de- default rate, default report? You know, what do you want to see this week, year to date, last month, whatever it is? And I set it up and I make it accrual. And then they have glorious reports and they don't have to go change the date range every time they make a report. Exactly. So that was three parts of converting from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online. Part one, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, okay, all the stuff that doesn't convert, what are the landmines? Why would somebody charge $500 or $5,000 or $50,000 <laughs> for a conversion. Obviously, so many moving parts. Then on part two, we talked about, okay, how to go about doing the conversion, all the things you have to think about during that process. And on this episode, we talked about what is the standard stuff that any accountant should do with their uh, small business client as they do the conversion. But if you actually go through Alicia's uh, SOP document for converting there's like two more pages worth of stuff, and she calls this stuff a concierge conversion, which will probably, we'll, so we don't bore people with desktop uh, to online uh, episodes back to back, back to back. We'll, we'll, we'll wait some, we'll wait a couple of episodes, and maybe we'll do a whole episode talking about what is the most premium level service you can offer to someone moving from desktop to online, not just 
the data that's moving from desktop to online, but then really thinking about changes in workflow, uh, training your client, uh, what apps you're going to have to start bringing to um, to bring some of the similar experiences that you used to be doing with desktop and then considering, you know, are bringing these apps more efficient than using QuickBooks desktop from the past. Sometimes using QuickBooks desktop, the reason why people moved out of it in the first place because where they're fed up with the IT issues, they were fed up with the single mode issues. So sometimes moving to QuickBooks Online just was inevitable. And then in order to get similar functionality and reports or project management, it might require for you to add a third-party app. And that means that there's certain things in QuickBooks Online that you just won't do anymore. Like you won't do it in QuickBooks Online anymore. Like Avalara, for example, like you add Avalara or you add any sales tax app, you're not going to be calculating sales taxes in QuickBooks. You're going to use a third-party app because a third-party app is much more precise. So you have to kind of unlearn doing things inside a single system, and you're going to have to relearn how to use a single system as your GL and a third-party system as your operating, your sort of operating system. So we'll discuss like the concierge level of conversion and like really just doing consulting on how to run your business now that your, your stuff is on the cloud in a future episode. So with that being said, Alicia, what's going on in your world? Well, I'm in the middle of refreshing all of my content. And so I offer CPE classes in all different QBO topics. And one of the things that I have to do to maintain my accreditation is make sure that none of my content is ever more than two years old. So in March, I'm I, I'm actually doing classes now. It used to be once a month, but right now I'm every other week. And so I have classes coming up in using QBO's budgeting tools, how to really dive into the chart of accounts and understand what everything is that's there and how to create your own structure. And I'm also doing a class on backing up QBO, which every time I teach the class, it's a whole different class because the technology changes every single time. What's going on in your world? Yeah, so I'm still um, working really hard towards getting my conference all booked up. We have uh, just over 80 people that have already signed up uh, and uh, and paid for their full ticket for the conference in October. So if you want to join us and learn how to have more influential conversations, if you're an accountant, bookkeeper, tax preparer, you want to learn communication skills, want to learn how to um, up your communication skills and uh, be able to talk about your value, set boundaries, negotiate with your clients, be more influential with your advisory, you want to come down to uh, Fort Lauderdale in October 2024. Check out our conference at reframe2024.com. Reframe2024.com. Excellent. And the URL for my classes is learn.royalwise.com. Perfect. So with that being said, Thank you very much, and I'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one.